Welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show, The Twist. Welcome to The Twist with Don Pravda and Erica Gray. Hello, Don. And welcome on a beautiful March night in the great Northeast. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show. You know what I want to talk about tonight, Don? Something the people listening aren't going to expect. I want to talk about Jupiter. Jupiter. I know the song. No. Jupiter and Mars. In no. other words? Oh. Jupiter. Jupiter. Sounds Jupiter. good. Jupiter. Emmanuel Macron. Are, are we going there soon? No. Emmanuel. We're not? No. Emmanuel Macron, who was referenced at the start of the, his French presidency as Jupiter. And the reason I want to talk about Jupiter tonight, or Emmanuel Macron, is because of the Declaration of Versailles which was just decided just a few days ago. And Macron, who's now heading the European Council presidency, France is heading the Council presidency, so he got to pick where to have this summit. And of course, he picked Versailles, which is the home of the Louis. And Napoleon Bonaparte also had uh, spent time at Versailles as well. Very historical. And of course, the Treaty of Versailles, which was the end of World War I, Absolutely, and led to a lot of uh, problems, including you may have heard of Germany rising after the Versailles Treaty from 1921 to 1933. And during a very dark period in history, which followed after that to an even darker period in history. May there not be another Treaty of Versailles. Well, there was the Declaration of Versailles, and Jupiter was there. And of course, he's in good company because at Versailles, you've got the Mars Room and the Apollo Room. And you also have out in the back, in a section of the outdoors, you have Lacoon, which is also at the Vatican. And you see these Greek gods that are at the Vatican also surrounding Versailles. And Jupiter himself, of course, standing there. And the Treaty of Rome was signed in 1957 in an old temple of Jupiter. So we have Jupiter. And the reason I want to highlight Jupiter looks like because of the Ukraine war, chances look good for him being reelected. And that's really good for him because he's, of course, hoping for that to highlight a just a quick statement that was recorded in The Guardian saying that the Versailles Declaration described Russia war as a tectonic shift in European history. And what Jupiter, or excuse me, Macron called for was basically that this would establish European defense. What's your thoughts on that, Don? We've talked about this in a previous broadcast, how the European Union stepped up as a military power. I think they have made inwards into Ukraine and Russia as players at this time. They are players with the potential to raise an army to, in fact, offer aid and send weaponry to the Ukraine. It sounds like they are going to have a permanent place in history. The tectonic shift in European history is accurate. There's a big changes are ahead in Europe, and players are being formed, and you'll hear about a lot of new names emerging in the next few years as well. Well, not only that, We've got China benefiting from the Ukraine-Russia war because of the sanctions. The only place that Russia's had to turn is to China. So we see this strengthening now of not just Russia and China, but even India coming out more so on the side of Russia. And we see this real split happening in the globe. You have Biden who's going to be going to NATO, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking about NATO in a few minutes, going to NATO. 
NATO, but he's also going to meet with the European leaders who he'll also be seeing at this summit. It's no doubt to cement or further strengthen the US-EU alliance so that it can act as a bulwark against the Russian Chinese and the other side. You're seeing this real division now, this regionalization happening is this idea now that not only are we in this age of empires, but that it's going to be every empire for itself and that this particular crisis is showing that the U.S. is not strong enough and the U.S. is going to have to start to deal with its own interests because it's not going to be in the same place in a very short time from now to be taking the position as the policeman of the world. What's your thoughts on that, Don? Well, America should not be the policeman of the world. America offers stability to democracies. America has its own historical tradition. We are in North America. We're not on the European continent. We're much more independent thinking over the years, and regimes change. Regretfully, a few people have been assassinated over the years. Our presence, we know, but America is not in the first position in the world anymore. They are moving downward a bit. This is very well known. Other countries are very aware of this. And we're in this, probably in the realm of a third or fourth power in this universe. And that can change. Don't feel everything's locked in. Now, let's talk about NATO. If you look at the secretary generals who have been secretary general of NATO, what's interesting about this is that several of them have been European federalists, but also several of them have been anti-NATO and were known as speaking out against NATO. I remember when Xavier Solana was the secretary general, and it was well known that he did not like NATO, and yet he was now its Secretary General. And we're going to blow a little whistle on Jen Stoltzenberg right now, who is the Secretary General of NATO, because in Norway many years ago, he was also against NATO. And there was a song apparently that he made up about leaving NATO, that they should leave NATO, uh, Norway. So why is it NATO is getting these Secretary Generals who are not completely pro-NATO, who at one time were against NATO, or they're European Federalists where they're working on the European Union building its own empire and building its own army. And by the way, this whole thing with the, the army has been in the works for about uh, at least three decades. So this is 30 years, an evolution little by little. So what's up with NATO? I know you don't like NATO, you feel it's failed, but if anything shows it's a failure, why these particular secretary generals. But this is an idea. The sides come together with Mr. Zelensky, Mr. Putin, perhaps brokered through Israel and our American friends. And they simply say, well, this country, the Ukraine, does not have to be a NATO. Is it so important? Is it life and death that this country be a NATO and we could resolve the differences between Russia and the Ukraine? Of course, Mr. Putin is very concerned about his strategic land 
another nation right in his border and this particular nation would go into NATO? Is there any real purpose for this? Can it be avoided? Perhaps Putin feels threatened. Do we need the Ukraine to be in NATO? Is it really necessary? Can this be avoided? Can we bring peace to this area? Which which actually, with a little effort, maybe a mo- lot more effort and sophistication, can happen. Well, there's a lot of contradictions, Don. Yeah. Yeah, Jen Stoltenberg, who stated that he sang the chorus singing Norway, Norway, out of NATO, and it was a hit. You have him who doesn't want to be in NATO, so why would he ex- expect a country to want to be in NATO? But you had another contradiction at the Versailles Declaration because they were talking about the European Union leaders, and the gang was all there from Ursula von der Leyen, Jupiter, Emmanuel Macron, but I'm calling him Jupiter, Charles Michel, who is the council president, and yet they were highlighting sovereignty and the importance of national sovereignty, but the whole European project is against national sovereignty and against nations that want to hold on to their sovereignty because they feel it's traditional, outmoded, not the form of government that is the the kind of government that is effective today. The nation state is traditional, outmoded, and cannot handle the challenges in this world, yet they're talking about sovereignty, just like Jen Stoltenberg is talking about NATO, but he sang the song and the words were singing in Norway, Norway out of NATO. I mean, what's up with all these contradictions? You know what? I think it's when something serves their purpose. I think maybe the declaration at Versailles and they're highlighting the sovereignty and the importance of sovereignty because now it's suiting their purpose. But but what's Jen Stoltenberg heading NATO for when he would sing such a song? All these contradictions, Don. And he sings a song. I want to talk about something that's very important happening in the Ukraine, in that the Russian troops have moved into the Ukraine. Ukraine has been leveled, bombed. Millions of people now, refugees, have left the nation. But here is a very important piece of information. Let me quote the Prime Minister Naftali Bennett of Israel. He implores the Ukrainians and Israelis living in the Ukraine to please leave at this time. Come home, he said at the start of a cabinet meeting. Don't take an unnecessary risk. Don't wait for the situation which you'll really want to return and it will be already be impossible. Show responsibility for your own lives. Leave Ukraine and leave as quickly as possible and come home. This is a big story. Ten flights have already left Israel to the Ukraine. An estimated 700 to 1,000 people have already gone to Israel, and this is going to continue. And I think this is a spiritual story. People leaving a very troubled region to go to the homeland, the spiritual land of the Jewish people. And let's watch this story and watch it grow. And you'll see continually more people applying to live in Israel. And soon, in fact, to travel to Israel once again and visit. What's also interesting about Israel is that you have, for the first time, Israel has always been known as the place of conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelites. And yet Israel is now acting as a peace broker in the war between Russia and Ukraine. It's a pretty notable that the country, which many have viewed as having 
having, you know, conflict that needed to be resolved is now standing up to help resolve a major conflict or a major war. What's your thoughts on Israel now acting as a peace broker? Israel is on the front stage now. They're on the Broadway stage. It's not opera. It's Broadway. People are looking to Israel for answers, for results. They have the intelligence. They have the ability to bring nations together. This could be done in Jerusalem, and it can be done. In fact, this would be a good time on the calendar as we're about to celebrate Purim. We continue to be in the month of Adar. This is a triumphant time in the history of the Jewish people. And I'm certain if this could come about with the Russians, the Ukrainians, the Americans, let's emphasize the Americans at the table, this can get done and the killing can stop. And of course, I believe in Israel. I believe it's an ability, its resources, its education, and its global ability to bring people to Israel to the table. Also, you've got to hand it to Bennett. Bennett is making Israel look very strong by taking this position as peace negotiator. How do you feel Bennett is appearing as a leader in this? He is appearing as a leader. He's serious. He sees opportunity, and Israel will accept non-Jews from the Ukraine as well, but he sees a future from Israel and sees people from all over the world eventually coming to Israel. The state is actually preparing for millions of people to live in Israel in the future. I didn't say thousands. I said millions of people. The country is confident that they can bring in a lot of new people. There's a bright future. There'll be spiritual wonders. History is going to be made. So watch Israel. A lot is happening. They can negotiate this peace. And of course, there are a lot of Jewish people in the Ukraine. Perhaps they're seeking a new homeland and they would be welcome. Well, another thing I'd like to talk about is the boost to China's currency and its companies. Again, because of the Russia-China, not only the alliance, but because of the sanctions. And it appears that the sanctions are having a real boomerang effect. You have the, of course, gas prices and inflation in the United States now that's increased because of the sanctions. And what I find odd, though, is there was a newsletter from the George W. Bush Foundation. A Republican wrote an opinion piece about how we Americans should willfully want to pay the high gas prices and the high prices at the supermarket so that we could enlist ourselves in our own sacrifice in this war. What was amazing was this was coming from a conservative, from a Republican individual, and yet Giver Hofstadt, who I actually had the honor to meet in Rome, Geep Verhofstadt, who is Europe's most notable liberal, most liberal politician, but yet he's also a power politician. Mr. Verhofstadt was also asking the Europeans or stating to the Europeans the exact same thing of more or less, so 
swallowing these gas prices so that they could crush Russia. I find it amazing that for all the infighting, and you speak more, Don, on the U.S. politics than I do, but for all of the infighting with the Democrats and the Republicans, that you would have a Republican on the same page as a European liberal. Now, the European Mm -hmm. liberals are different than the U.S. liberals because their cause is for a federal Europe, which is so foreign and so incomprehensible to most Americans. They don't understand the politics there and that the liberals are different. But yet he's also very liberal in the social issues. And in that area, more liberal probably than even in America. What's your thoughts about this coming together of the liberals and the conservatives, but in Europe as well, for this sacrifice that should be made to successfully sanction Russia and crush the Russian bear. What's your thoughts on the parties seeming to come together in this? There seems to be an agreement on both sides of the aisles among Democrats and Republicans. They look at this situation in Russia as a massive empire, and let's add, in fact, the word communist. Officially, it still is. And that the communists who own an empire led by a dictator is trying to destroy a country nearby named the Ukraine. However, they have history together since the 7th century. They are not totally a separate group, but they want their own nation. However, the parties look at it as if this is a wounded country that wishes autonomy, sovereignty, and the right to free speech, and it's being squashed. So therefore, these different factions at this time are getting along quite well together. They are making aid packages, and they're at this time writing new bills and finding a way to help the Ukraine people. Basically, what you're saying is they're pretty unified. But when you talk about the free speech, that's also been whittled away in the United States because you now have the major social networks that are censoring and taking down many channels. And if they feel you're not speaking on the right side of this issue, you will be censored in the United States. I've heard of people talking about the censoring that takes place in Russia, but we also have it here. And I'm finding that there's a lot more similarity, I think, than what people realize. I think even between the Republicans and Democrats, especially on the issue of Russia, they're really both on the same page. The conservatives are even with the European liberals. Is that a good thing that, for once, the Republicans and the Democrats have united? It is a good thing. It's a show of support. And by the way, if you didn't know this before, the Democrats and the Republicans are cut from the same cloth. You just can't feel as a child that they're different entities. One is red and one is blue and they all think alike. They all do not think alike. They are part of parties. However, there is also mutual agreements they can make. And that's a lot of power to get along, to be on the same page as each other. And this was done. It's quite well known when Reagan became president, he had Tip O'Neill as the leader of the Congress, and they had different ideas. They were obviously different parties from different regions of the country, and that Mr. O'Neill was, of course, 
Boston Irish and a true leader and very well known and entrenched in his party. However, they got together and even Vice President Cheney at the time said it was a phenomenal four years. Four years of negotiations and compromising and a lot got done. It was as simple as that. And that's what made it a very dynamic four-year term for President Reagan. Well, I have to say, I don't know that I agree. I think it would be better for the two parties to really have different stands on the issue because there is other opinion. And we talked about last week John Mearsheimer's commentary, and his was just fantastic on how the West created this problem. And also, it goes back to the issue of NATO, which was the one thing that Vladimir Putin was asking for a concession on for him to pull troops out. And there's just something seriously wrong with the person who is heading NATO singing songs against NATO, but yet when Russia has this concession that it demands this line in the sand and it's a neighbor of Ukraine's and it's Ukraine is a strategic interest for Russia and it asks for the country to not become a member of NATO but yet the person who is saying it has every right to become a member of NATO is singing songs about how Norway should be out of NATO. There's just something wrong with this picture, Don. The whole picture is off. Then you have the Versailles Declaration and And they're the first individuals who talk against national sovereignty because they want more power in Brussels. But now all of a sudden, in the case of Ukraine, sovereignty is paramount. Well, that goes against the unity of the European Union and handing over the power to Brussels so that Brussels could now make the rules. It's just all miscombobulated. And somehow we got to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll we'll play cards and uh, we'll eat popcorn and we'll figure out what we can do about all this. But I think until next time, I should maybe say to you all, till next time, God bless. But I think we've spoken enough on it tonight. And Don, your final words? The world is spinning. The world is not staying in place. There's an enormous spiritual shift. You can feel it now in the air. You feel it when you you read the news, you watch television. Things are, are changing and they're changing fast. And a lot of nations are jockeying for power. In the case of Russia and Ukraine, it is a land war. Uh, Russia wants the Ukraine the way Peter the Great wanted the Ukraine and feels he deserves to have it. So will Taiwan be invaded by China? That's a mystery. What is going to happen in the Middle East? What's going to happen in Yemen? With the Houthis and the Iranians, how close are are they in a war that will escalate? Israel is strong, but Israel is watching. And I want to thank our friends out there and thank you for your time and attention and have a blessed good night and week and happy Purim. Tune in next time for more from Don Provder and Erica Gray for their twist on world news.